Well, welcome all you wiretappers back here in the studio, Gangland Wire. I have a special show for you today. Uh, an interesting guy. You know, I, I'm a retired law enforcement and I like having other retired law enforcement guys on here. And uh, we're in the middle of a, uh, a month with the retired ATF. So I found another ATF agent to uh, to interview, uh, uh, Ignacio Esteban. Welcome, Ignacio. Oh, thank you, Gary. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Well, I can't remember how I got onto you. I'm always scanning the internet and looking for books, mob books, and, and mainly mob because we primarily deal with the mafia, but other organized crime things like cartels and, and drug gangs, you know, narcotics lends itself to organization. <laughs> and so it's organ yes, always organized crime, isn't it? So I, I found your book, I, I guess, I think, or retired ATF agent. I, I don't know, but I saw that and I started investigating. And, and man, I tell you what, Ignacio, you are a prolific writer. I will say Thank that. You. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> Folks, just get out there and, and I'm going to put some images up, but go to my or go to my show notes if you're on the uh, audio podcast and, and I'll put links to or I'll put a link to his uh, Amazon page and he's got all of his books on there. He's got a ton of them and, and they're all uh, more like as we talked and I was reading about them, they're, they're short reads and, and yes. we've got politics, we've got organized crime, uh, we've got children's books, we've got novels, we've got travel books, uh, travel yes, books sir. from the view of an ATF agent. How about that? Huh? <laughs> I like it. I like it. Those, those, those are those are my pictures. I took all those pictures myself. Uh, cool. Cool. So, so you made your travel pay. <laughs> yes. yes. And, and, and I say beautiful locations. If you ever have a chance to go to South Dakota, go to South Dakota. Yeah. What a beautiful state. Yeah, it is. I went up just to the uh, uh, Badlands up there. Uh, oh. One yes. time, it's just beautiful up there. Yeah, Badlands is beautiful. The Black Hill Mountains, yeah, Mount Rushmore. Oh, I, I'm a big yeah. fan of South Dakota. Yeah, except in the winter. <laughs> in the summer, it was hot, but I, I'd rather deal with the heat, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, man. Those winters are brutal up there, dude. Oh. <laughs> Trust me on that. They're br br brutal enough in Kansas City, but boy, you go north of here, oh, oh man, it's tough. And, so I, anyhow, and I'm a Miami guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can tell that from your name. You're from the south of here and your accent. <laughs> Way south of here. Yes. So anyhow, uh, Ignacio, let's, you started off with a custom service. And uh, I, I just did an interview with the custom service guy, Richard Mazur, who did the, uh, 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 what was the name of that? Uh, the Betrayal and the... Uh, Oh, the one that the informant, the one that, that they did a movie on. So tell it. I didn't realize oh, customs did all I that. I think I did see the movie. Yes. Yeah. That's a good movie. Yeah. I, I didn't realize customs was really that active. I always think of customs guys as just, you know, man and post on the border, but uh, they no, do a lot no. more than that, don't they? So tell us a little bit about your time with the U.S. Department of Customs. Yes, for sure. Yeah. I started in the, in the mid 90s and from 95, 2000. And uh, I was at Miami International Airport, MIA. And at the 90s, it was it was crazy in the 80s, but it was still busy in the 90s. Mm. And I, after a year, I became part of their elite team, which the uh, contraband enforcement team, the set team, as it's known. And our job was interdict uh, the largest amount of seizures that were coming from Latin America to Miami. And at the time, the Mexican cartel wasn't that strong. Colombia, the Colombian cartels mm -hmm. were still active, and they were still pushing their drugs through airports, through seaports, and all the way inside. So they would be very creative how they would bring in some stuff. And uh, we were part of seizures where we get hundreds and hundreds of pounds of cocaine coming in. And then I just come from Colombia. 
they, they would use other countries like Ecuador, for example, Guayaquil. Uh, we, we got a huge load that came in in the, uh, the tuna, right? The tuna is pretty big fish. So you have inside each one, you have a kilo with, with a brick of ice next to it. So <laughs> they were like, and, and, and they were going to get ripped off pretty quickly. So unfortunately, in Miami, we also had a lot of corruption with a lot of the ramp workers and people working where the shipments would just be manifested, what, whatever, and then they end up be going on the back out the door. So that was a big way that the Colombians were getting a lot of the drugs to Miami was through uh, corruption at the airport and the big loads. So if you weren't there, you were looking for it later in, in the warehouse, it was already gone. So that, that they were very creative getting the stuff out there. So yeah, we, we would get in, uh, in the flower stems. That was another way because a lot of flowers come from Colombia. Yeah. They were called MIA. And they were put inside the uh, the stems, and they were full mm. of cocaine. That's that's very hard to detect, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, you have a good canine dog, you might be able to hit it. Uh, if you had information, uh, but we would end up getting a lot of those, and eventually we'd come. You have to look into that. Um, sometimes in the planes itself, they would hide the kilos in the planes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you remember. There was this one song, uh, written by the Foo Fighters, uh, "Flying High." And it was about, there was a heroin. This is then back mid at the end nineties, heroin became very popular coming from Colombia. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had it smuggled in the, one of the bins for they have the drinks, you know, how the stewardess pushes them around uh, and they had it inside there where they thought maybe the, the pilots or the passengers might even had, you know, by accident get some of those. <laughs> so uh, there was, a, there was, a, that was part of one of our big seizures. And uh, the song was written flying high and the pilot drinking the heroin so American Airlines was known as something special in the air, right? <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> they do so, get creative, don't they? Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, sometimes in the alcohol itself, they have liquor cocaine yeah. coming in through, through the alcohol itself. I mean, it, you think about it, they figure out a way to, to put it in there. So between the, uh, the cargo shipments, uh, between being smuggled in, um, you know, and passengers, uh, we used to get a lot of, when I also did some of the rover teams, uh, people who would swallow the pellets. Yeah, yeah, right. They, they, they'll put them inside inside their stomach, which is completely dangerous. Sometimes they find people dead on the planes because some of the pellets were leaking. And if it was heroin, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll be dead on the plane, dead on arrival. Wow, and that, that was not uncommon to have that all the time happening. Yeah. And and then if you catch one of those, then that's a process to get them to expel all that. Also, <laughs> what what is that process? I always wondered about that. <laughs> yeah, they have to they have to drink a lot of laxatives. A lot of, <laughs> What we call the shit so fast, right? <laughs> so, so you just force them to drink the laxative, or you uh, don't give them anything yeah. until they say, "Well, I got to have something," and they'll drink it. I mean, this—I Doctor- mean, this is like, like this is kind of uh, Kafka-esque. I think might be the word. I mean, it's kind of a weird. How do you do that? Yeah, the doctor's orders because we take them to. Um, uh, then it was Jackson Memorial Hospital, which is in Miami, and uh, you know, already we know it's in there. And they, they have to, they, because they have an x-ray and uh, they have to start taking. If not, it's for their own benefit. If they don't, th- those things can leak and they, they will die. And that happens yeah. too. And they have to go to the emergency room. And if they don't want to push them out, then the alternative is surgery too. Yeah. Oh, really? They, wow. they, you don't want that. You, you want talk, to do that. Talk so. about an intrusive search for it. <laughs> and, and, and it's worse because if, if the cartels get hold of you, let's say, and it happens a lot too, they get gutted. They go yeah. to one of these cheesy hotels in downtown Miami and it's not coming out. Well, these guys aren't waiting around. Man. They're going to put a bullet in the guy's head, and then when they, they're going to cut him up and just take it themselves. Boy. So they're lucky that we get them rather than the, the yeah. cartels get away with them. So those are some of the things I saw. And um, one thing being with customs, I, I get to uh, – because really I became accidental with law enforcement. 
I, I had a background in political science and history. And I was studying my master's at FIU, which is Miami for international relations, going to go to law school. Yeah. And, and then I saw an announcement for customs. And I think it was either USA Jobs or one of those uh, Fed jobs. And um, they were looking for Spanish speakers who understood Latin American culture. Well, I grew up in Miami and I was that. And I said, well, do I want to get to more debt because I'm still paying off my college loans? Or do I want to go to uh, start working here with customs? And the benefits were enormous. So I thought instead of going to law school and getting myself into another $50,000 debt, I said, well, let me start working with customs. I had the skills of very athletic. I was also uh, had a scholarship for tennis at the university. It was in St. Leo. So I said, you know, I'm an athletic guy. I like shooting. Uh, I understand the background. I also studied law. So I feel I, I do well. And uh, the rest was history from, from customs. I did extremely well. And I started meeting a lot of people. You know, with customs, you do a lot of seizures. And you meet a lot of guys from federal law enforcement from all over and also locals from FBI, ATF, DEA, uh, Secret Service, Marshals, et cetera. Yeah. So you make a good networking. And um, I put in for different agencies, you know, because then I want to take my case because they're at the border. You, you, you don't you don't need uh, probable cause. It's yeah. for authority. We can see we can search everything we want as long as there's international nexus that comes in. But it's a lot different game when you do investigations, you know, then you have the probable cause. You say you have the cases. It's a lot tougher game. Um, so one thing with, uh, with customs, I want to take it to a different level. I just didn't want to be there at the border. So I started putting for, uh, you know, DEA, ATF and FBI and ATF picked me up. Um, and thing was, it wasn't going to be Miami. I would have to go to Tampa, which was fine. I started working Tampa field division because I studied up there in, uh, St. Louis university. So that was great. And that's why I started working some of these, uh, cases where I, I started working, uh, you know, undercover after a few years. I got to work with guys who did a lot of UC work. I got to see their style, how they worked. I spoke Spanish, which helped me a lot also yeah. deal with people. And, I would, and of course, I didn't look like this. I didn't sound like this. <laughs> I had an accent. My English was broken. I'm sorry. And I, I know you, you speak yeah. with an accent. Your hair, my hair was really long and had a really big beard. And uh, you, 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 don't, you don't look professional at all. You sound anything but that with these guys. And um, you, you fit the role and you start working. And I started doing international, uh, international firearms trafficking cases, uh, armed drug dealers, uh, repeat violent offenders, uh, gang members, and I made a, a good career of putting those kind of guys, and I, and I ended up writing a book about it called uh, ATF Undercover after I retired, uh, since I retired um, just last year, actually, no. after 26 years. Yeah. After 26 years, I retired last year, and um, I started writing, I would say, in about – my autobiography, I, I, I kind of started dabbling in it uh, during the pandemic in, yeah. in March 2020. Uh, because our director at the time, acting director, had challenged us. He worked in a home a lot, which I didn't mind because I was at the time in ATF headquarters. So that worked out good. At the end of my career, I promoted and I worked up and I started working with the command staff a lot with mm -hmm. things was going on. So I started dabbling in it, but because I had all the things going on, I really couldn't really focus the way I wanted to. Uh, but once I retired and then I started writing, I got, I got um, motivated with politics once I saw the Winter Games. And again, the IOC had selected you know, Beijing, Communist China, yeah. to host another games. And with their atrocious human rights record, I thought I thought it was something to write about. They said, how, how could this be happening with uh, the, the uh, genocide that's going on in China with the Tibetans, what's going on with uh, the ethnic Muslims out there, uh, what's going on, people who want freedom, you know, like in Hong Kong. Yeah. If you oppose it, the CCP, you're, you're pretty much end up incarcerated or you disappear. And then with the virus, of course, those poor doctors who did the right thing, yeah, whistleblowing to the world, they were they were killed and they were disposed of, Man. which it, it shows the big problem with the cover up with them 
and and with them and WHO, the World Health Organization, with the cover up there going on. And that's how we end up suffering from this kind of. This could have yeah. been prevented a lot. It could have been as worse, but they let people travel and, and look at the disaster we have. So I was I was really so that motivated me to start writing, and I wrote a book called uh, the uh, Communist China: The Evil Empire, and why they should never host another games again. And in the, again, my books are short reads. Uh, you you can read them. They're they're like within an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, I'm getting longer. <laughs> I guess the more I'm doing this, my books <laughs> are getting a little bit longer and longer now. <laughs> so the the book I'm working on now, I think it's going to be a, about a good two hour two hour read. My autobiography is one of my longest books that I read because it took me so long to write. It's that's about maybe almost maybe an hour and a half, two hour read also, but it's yeah. very detailed. It talks about my cases, kind of work I did, uh, the infiltrations. Uh, and, and putting away some really bad people in our society, so they re- these repeat violent offenders. That's one thing ATF does. You know, we deal with a lot of people with bad, bad people with bad guns. And yeah. do and the guns are the bad thing. It's the bad people that do things with the guns. Yeah. And uh, and and that's what what uh, I talk about in a lot of my books and what I am. Interesting. So we talked before a little bit, and and you uh, have a, a deep understanding of, of Cuba and what happened down there. And, and so you did one about Castro and the mob. So tell us, tell us a little bit about yeah. Castro and the mob, how that all, you know, worked. And, and then the, uh, the plots to, to kill Castro, you know, was, was the mob really involved in plots to kill Castro and, and what's your take on all that? Yeah. I mean, I knew some things about it. I was in my, my family uh, came from Cuba in the early sixties escaping the, uh, the communism uh, from Fidel Castro and his regime. Um, and so I started doing some research. I, I wanted to do a, a book on Castro, but then I also started researching saw how, how it tied in with the mafia. And um, I started with uh, the Havana Conference in, in 46, right? And I know they talk a little bit about it in the Godfather movies. They show some pictures and it took place in the Hotel Nacional, which is still today, built in 1930s, like a palace. Beautiful, beautiful in, in Havana. You can look at the water. You can look at the city. It, it really was built like a, a palace back back then. It was something to behold. It hasn't been maintained as it should have because obviously the communists just don't have the means yeah. because of their system that's set up, very centralized system. So I started doing a lot of research in it. And it, it touched obviously my family, but also from my own understanding what's going on. So those who like organized crime maybe didn't understand how, how, how tied in the La Cosa Nostra, Italian Mafia, Jewish Mafia, other mafias were in Cuba. It, it, it was going to be their hub until Castro came in. And I, I'm going to explain how things just, just they just lost everything from Meyer Lansky and Traficante. All these guys lost it all just like that with yeah. the wrong guy and misunderstanding what was going on, which is what I'm going to talk about. So I go 46. Uh, Lucky Luciano just got deported from the United States because of the Second World War. That was their agreement. Yeah. He's sent to uh, Southern Italy. Uh, I think it's around Sicily. He makes some contacts and connects with all red with uh, heroin traffickers in North Africa. He said, this, this could have some big opportunities, what he was, was talking about. He wants to set up a major conference in Cuba because obviously he can't go to the United States. And he, he wants to go there. And he had three objectives with this conference. It's going to be a, a pretty much a who's who. Imagine your audience may have read yeah. about the who's 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 there from Frank Costello to the Marcelo family, Traficante family, the New York City family, uh, Sam Giacana which would become an interesting figure later in this book. He represented the outfit and he came down to Cuba. So they're all there in, in 46. And three things come out of it is, is that A, they need to get involved in drug trafficking. That, that is where heroin trafficking is where the big money's at. 
yeah, they're going to continue with gambling. They're going to continue with that. There was some hesitation with that. But he said, listen, this is the contact, and this is how we're going to do it according to research. We're going to get them through Havana, Havana to Tampa, drop the county family. We handle the Tampa area. Marcelo family has New Orleans, and then the New York City families will handle New York City. And we'll be able to smuggle the stuff in. We have our contact. We'll buy people. We have to to get the stuff in. The second one is he wanted to become the boss of all bosses. And because he couldn't anymore with his fam- with his organized crime and Frank Costello was taken over because he was outside the country. Uh, there was a lot of dispute about that, but I guess he won them over enough where they voted to let him to become the boss of all bosses mm-hmm. out there. And how Cuba, Havana, was going to be their hub bringing in different crime syndicates. He wanted to make an international crime syndicate between the Jewish, Fed- Jewish mafia, Spanish, Cuban, everybody together, working together, not against each other. Because he thought he could make more money that way. Mm-hmm. So th- those were the interesting things that, that came out of that and pushed it because there was a lot going on because of prohibition in the United States. And Cuba w- was a big point where they didn't have that going on. And a lot of alcohol trafficking, rum running was going on from then. So this was a perfect launching point to go with the drug trafficking. And that's one on. So how big the things get in Cuba uh, with the mafia got really big. It, it got really big in, in, in the 50s. Uh, that that's when uh, it got so big, um, they even bought uh, Florencio Batista. He was he was a corrupt dictator there where he was on the payroll for the mafia. So pretty much he guaranteed dollar for dollar what he did to build these casinos, to build these hotels. The mafia puts in the money from gambling. He would match dollar for dollar. He said Cuban tax dollars also, but for their own gain because he would pay a percentage himself. So he gets paid a percentage. They keep on raking in the big bucks. And uh, so he, he was a very corrupt individual. Uh, but he was very unpopular with a lot of people because his corruption was really bad with the mafia. So you have to, and in fact, it gets so obvious that he even promoted, he even made Meyer Lansky the, the czar or director of gambling in, in, in casinos. So he has a gangster on his administration, <laughs> which, is, which shows how, how bad things are. But it's also very popular with tourists. They're bringing in a lot of money. The mob is doing extremely well. Uh, Santo Traficante is set up there also. He's doing well. Uh, Meyer Lansky invests a lot of money in the Havana Riviera. He puts in a lot of money out of his own pocket, and he's doing really well. Santo Traficante is running the San Susi. He's running a lot of the other uh, hotels out there, and he's doing really well. Um, but they're seeing what's going on in Cuba. Things are changing. There's a revolution going on, right? You have Castro and his rebels, Che Guevara, and these guys at Sierra Maestra ha- causing problems for the army, Batista. They're, they're looking at things, uh, and this is based on research where I read and everything else. They're thinking, all right, who is this Castro guy? If, if Batista does fall, it would just be business like usual. Well, they, they, they misunderstood him. They misread him completely. Yeah, they misread him, didn't they? <laughs> Co- completely, completely, because he, he, he was a communist. And the reason of his revolution, he was very anti-capitalist anti-American and, and, and very anti-imperialist. So he, he wanted to end all that. So they, they misread him completely. So what happened there, like everybody else did, like many people did. Some people did not. I know my family, some for what, for what he was, and they want nothing to do something like that. But unfortunately, uh, he, he toppled the regime. So you have that famous picture, famous scene in the movie, right, where Bautista and the Godfather, right, it's New Year's Eve, the big party there. You have yeah. all the gangsters, mobsters there, right? Yeah, And he's taken off on the plane because he knows, hey, the army's collapsed. And what they did to it, he's, he's lucky he left because he would have been executed. Because Castro, a week later in Havana, 
ex- executing any supporters of Batista. Mm-hmm. And there were famous, you know, shootings that they had executing these people. So he barely escapes his life. He does the right move because he wouldn't have been alive. But a lot of these guys stay. Meyer Lansky. So this is January 1st, 1959. The army fell. Castro taken over. The rebels are coming in. He doesn't get into Havana until the 7th of January. Meyer Lansky knows he was on the board. Knows that he, he's not sure how this is going to play out because he has senses that he saw already in other cities because Havana is right here, right? Mm-hmm. Castro made his way all the way to the island and he's seeing how supporters of Bautista are getting executed, right? And he was he, he was in tight with them, very tight. I mean, they're, he's the one who's he's the brain, the accountant, as they call them, for operations in there. And he invested a lot. The day before Castro arrives in Havana, that he decides to fly out. Mm. So he gets out. Traficante, though, thinks he can play ball with him. And he, he makes a big mistake himself there because when Castro comes in, first thing he does, he's nationalizes all the casinos and all the hotels and starts destroying them with, with his uh, with his rebels and, and, and his supporters. Uh, he's had some issues with Traficante and he incarcerates him. Now, people don't know, he, he, he makes Traficante sit in, and he was a big time mobster, king of the world. Now he's sitting in a Cuban prison and, and, and he sits there for, uh, I think, almost eight months or so and uh, it, it was so bad for him he couldn't even go and it was a big event he couldn't go to his own daughter's wedding mm-hmm. that was in that summer so he, he goes from playing his cards thinking he can and now and then at the end castro says uh all right i had enough of you uh and deports him and whoever else family members and, and throws him back to tampa and but but he keeps everything he nationalizes everything and the mafia loses big time snake eyes they, they get on that mm-hmm. one and and the reporters and stuff so they, they completely underestimate that. So they're very angry because they lost a lot of money, especially Meyer Lansky, especially the of the, the other organizations. They, they lost a lot of money for, by, by Castro. And in essence, Castro became the ultimate mobster, I put in my book, mm-hmm. because he, he pretty much takes over everything himself and he controls everything. And now he has a, a military, he has the police, he has everything. He has more than the mafia ever had. And he took all their, all, all their assets for himself and, and he kicked them out of the country, whoever was left. So that was a disaster. So um, in 1960, the CIA and the Kennedy administration starts coming in. They, they see that he's a problem because he's getting very tight. And this is a little history here for your, for your audience. Uh, he, Castro, obviously a communist, he becomes well, very tight with the Soviets and uh, Khrushchev. And I met, people may remember the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, but before all that, before even the Bay of Pigs, uh, there was an attempt where CIA... Uh, contacts. They have a former FBI agent named Mahu, and uh, he was also what I read uh, the private ev- investigator for Howard Hughes, the only one he had. Right, I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah, and, and he has some contacts with the mafia, and uh, he reached out to John Roselli, who is the uh, who is a representative for the outfit at uh, in the West Side. So they have a meeting in Las Vegas, but he doesn't tell him he's he's working for the CIA. He, he tells them that he is part of an international outfit that's looking to take care of Castro because they lost a lot of money. A lot of businesses lost a lot of money. The major American companies lost a, a lot of money. International companies lost a lot of money. The guy nationalized and took everybody's assets, including my own families. Uh, they, everybody lost a lot of money. They said, okay, that sounds interesting. You want to kill him, but I'm not your guy to do that. So he introduces Sam Giacana and some Traficante to do it. And they have another meeting, I believe, in Florida. And he said, these guys can help you do it and they'll tell you 
but you won't have to pay us. He offered him to pay at the time like $150,000 uh, allegedly to kill Castro. And he said, this is something we'll do for free. This is something we want to do. <laughs> they they want to take him out. So they have a meeting. And I think uh, according to what I read, documents have been de- declassified. Jacana uh, offers, say, listen, I have some people in Cuba who's tight with Castro. They're not happy with him either. And he said, maybe we can poison him. And we got poison pills, maybe when his food drinks and maybe in his, in his cigar. <laughs> so um, they tried a few times, but unfortunately it, it didn't work. It failed. Um, you know, Castro has the famous picture of the New York Times picture in there. You know, CIA, you know, attempts to kill Castro. And he started laughing at the whole time. So unfortunately they tried. They tried some other things also. They didn't work out. And then they said, okay, enough of the operations. Uh, we're going to try the Bay of Pigs. And the invasion, unfortunately, that was uh, a debacle uh, that they didn't get the air support they needed to uh, to go in there with the uh, Cuban exiles with the invasion. After that, of course, deals were made with the, with the Cuban Missile Crisis. And Khrushchev and Kennedy came up with the agreement. They'll pull off the missiles out of Cuba. We're going to exchange the U.S. promises not to invade Cuba again and do what they did. That's, that's pretty interesting. There are other interesting stories in there. So I'll, I'll let your audience take a look at it. But yeah. it's it's. It's it's very if you look at the Godfather movies and they have a lot of clips in Cuba, they're very accurate. What happened there with the history yeah. and how things played out with that, um, and and the mafia got cleaned out, and, and maybe the, the fall of Havana became the rise of Las Vegas. It kind of did. It, it really did. Las Vegas rolled right on the heels of that. They had all their energy focused on Cuba, and then all their energy went out to Las Vegas. So. Inter- interesting in the big picture, you know, the overall scope of history. See how that all developed. Had uh, had Cuba continued to operate openly like that, uh, everybody from the East Coast would have gone down to Cuba because it's so much closer. And and it was, you know, it was an open city, basically, in Havana. Uh, they wouldn't have flown clear out to Las Vegas where they, uh, but as it was, there was, wasn't any other gambling or any other entertainment like that. So Las Vegas had the opening. Interesting. And then, of course, the history with Bugsy Siegel in the Flamingo <clears throat> and everything that plays out there, which I have another book in there, which I think, it, but it all ties together with these organizations. And I found Sam Giacana to be interesting um, with, with John Roselli, how these two would later be cut up with the uh, the Senate investigative committee, mm-hmm. intelligence committee back in the mid 70s. And uh, Roselli kind of surprised people. And when he testified while I was reading, he talked a lot about what happened. And that kind of was frowned upon by the uh, by the mafia that they don't like operation to be talked about. Yeah. And and he went in front of the Senate committee and he mentioned everything uh, pretty much mm-hmm. that which was shocked a lot of people. Uh, allegedly, Giacana was supposed to testify a few days later. Yeah. But everybody knows that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. He, he got shot, what, seven times in his basement while yeah. he was uh, cooking some peppers and sausages. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, an but, interesting little segment of history, isn't it? Yes. And, and it bites Roselli, too, because then he's found a year later in a barrel in the bay in, in Miami. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he, 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 these, both these guys piss some, piss some, piss some, piss some people <laughs> off, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I think probably it was a, a combination of events that happened and, and the whole working with the CIA and then talking about it and that Talk, coming out. Good. Uh, he, he shined that spotlight on it. And, uh, you know, Cardo was still around at the time. He did not like that spotlight shown on his family. No, he, knew no, he did not. That was, uh, no. uh, that was not good. 
So let's talk a little more about, uh, oh, let's, let's talk about, uh, I mentioned about that whole Fast and Furious and, and you talked about gun control down in Mexico and how that really has not worked. So let's, and, and what are conditions like in Mexico today? I'm, I'm watching a, uh, a vlogger, a motorcycle vlogger, and, and it's a girl and she's coming up through South America and she's getting to Mexico. And I'll tell you what, it, uh, Mexico, it seems really dangerous to me. <laughs> I can't tell, but it, 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 it I, I get the feeling from her that she's getting information that it's really dangerous for her to come up. And, and there were some other guys, uh, uh, Ewan McGregor and, and his buddy, were going to do this motorcycle trip that they're, you know, making a movie about coming up through Mexico. And they just, they had, they got, they made a truck or a bus. They put the motorcycles on and travel at night. And then they get out and ride a little bit during the day, but they didn't get out. It's just, it just seems like it's a lawless country. What's going on down there. Yeah. I, I do have a, a few books about that. Um, one is uh, the vicious, ruthless and bloodthirsty Mexican crime syndicates. Uh, and I talk in, in detail, detail, details, the horrors, absolute horrors that are going on with the cartels. Uh, I think like we've never seen, I mean, you have the Sinaloa, you have the Jalisco, which is CJNG, which is the Cartel Jalisco New Generation, Nueva Generacion, and they're 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 butting up with uh, Sinaloa, and, and they want to, they want to take over, and you have the Gulf cartels. You got smaller ones, but those are two big boys, yeah, and they're really going at it for territory because, you know, as as I, I said in other shows before, the Mexican mafia, Mexican the uh, the the Italian mafia, you know, I think at their hey, the, the Gambino family, they were saying maybe make. Uh, half a billion a year if they were lucky. These guys are making billions, and they're, they're obviously between ten to fifteen billion dollars a year. Wow. They're making that, that's per cartel group. So th- these guys are really raking in. So what happens? They're buying everybody. Yeah. They buy everybody, and if you dare stand up to them, which they've done many times, they're going in. Some imagine this: they're going in the police di- district, and they'll start shooting it up. They'll kidnap the officers who are doing their job, and it's a house of horrors. Beheadings, dismemberings, th- this is what they do. You want to enforce, and they put a sign. This is what happens to police that do their job in Spanish by the CJNG. So mm-hmm. w- if you're a cop, what are you going to do? And you, yeah. you come from average means. Yeah, it's, they, they just say, you, you're not going to do your job. It's, it's extremely violent, brutal. Uh, that's, that's why I say gun control doesn't work. Uh, and I mentioned that in my other book, Joe Biden, One and Done, uh, some of the failures we've seen. Um, it's um, because the bad guys will always have guns. The cartels get the guns from the United States. They have people in here. They have the strictest gun laws in the world. Guess what? doesn't matter because they buy everybody. They, they, they buy the, the custom officials. They yeah. buy the governor. They buy the police officer. And if you dare stand up to them, they unleash horrors on you because they have weapons of war. They have 50 caliber barrets. They shoot down helicopters. They, they take on the military mm-hmm. and they, they got battles going on. That's how well-trained armed they are. And, and, and their Sicario killers, they bring them in from a young age mm-hmm. and they train them to kill and, and, and not just kill, but do horrible things to people. I mean, it's, it's really bad. I mean, some of these guys are really bad. And I, I mentioned other shows before. It's not uncommon for them not only to kill you, but before they kill you, they're going to kill your whole family in front of you. So you can see how bad they are. And, and, and they really are, they want to intimidate, and they want to show that, listen, if you do these things, this is what's going to happen to you, your family, your friends, and your neighbors. 
and, and this is how the average person, and they, and they don't have guns to protect themselves. We end up this thing as a long discussion about gun control. So if you don't want to hear that way, I would suggest you go ahead and get off of this one now or listen to it. I think it gets kind of interesting. So, you know, gun control, what would happen was it would empower the, uh, the criminal element and people with mental health issues also because they're, they don't know any better. They have history. They're not getting treated. They're going to do, do what crazy does. And they're going to keep on going because they don't have the treatment they need. And they're going to keep on and keep on and keep on. And you, as you can see, unfortunately, what happened in uh, Ovalde, Texas, at the Robb Elementary School, it could be 80 minutes before you get any help in there to go out there. Or your other locations where even if it's three or four minutes, that's three or four minutes of hell, right? Yeah, it's three or four, two minutes, two minutes too long. And, and in some ways, there's, there is no stopping it once a guy starts down that path. And in many ways, it's just a luck if it's the stop before he takes out a lot of people it's just it can happen too fast it's crazy and in the book and the book i'm writing now about mass casualties uh hopefully i can have it out in about a few weeks it's it's extremely detailed one thing i've noticed and you keep on seeing the trend over and over you saw in virginia tech you you saw it in uh and and this one here is once confronted a lot of times they do take their own lives yeah the Navy are, they, they will take, because, you know, they don't, they don't want to be arrested and they have health issues and they will be shot. They will die and be done with it. So the sooner you confront these people, the sooner they can either end their lives or, or you can take care of them. Yeah. But if you leave them untested and people are not, they're going to come in and kill everyone they can. And they, yeah. and they don't stop. They don't stop. I mean, Sandy Hook was horrible. I mean, we, we remember seeing the, uh, that the kid, he had mental health issues and mom yeah. had issues with him. But you know what? You say you pass all these gun laws. What do you do? He took his mom's guns. Yeah. She bought them legally. She yeah. likes gun enthusiasts. So he took her gu- guns. She's sleeping, puts two bullets in her head, right? He snaps. And then he goes to the school and uh, he gets in there and he shoots all those kids. Yeah. With her, with her guns. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. I know I saw this is years ago. This for any of the modern kind of gun control issues were even talked about the old Phil Donahue show. That's the heck got to be done. So he had a show and he had a young kid on there. It was a gangbanger. And, and so Phil was trying to be real earnest and ask him about, well, you know, well, if, you know, we have stricter gun laws and, you know, you went to jail and, and, you know, you couldn't, you, you couldn't buy guns. He said, it's too late, man. He says, well, where are you going to get them? He said, he looked at me and said, we steal them from you. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Phil they, never they thought about that. <laughs> every, every house in this country practically has, you just ask any group of friends and they'll say, how many guns you got in your house? You know, been passed down many times. Maybe they don't even touch them, but they've been passed down. And so they've got a house full of guns. And so we steal them from you. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's not a simple you know, just ban guns. Yeah. No, is it? Uh, that's too no, easy. That's not going to work. It's just, it, there are no easy answers really. No, is it, I, I think what helps some of the solutions I had was we, we, we probably need resource officers in school and every school protection there at every school. We're spending billions, which is great in Ukraine. We want to help them liberate themselves from Putin and, and his tyranny, but that wouldn't be a bad investment, at least in our schools that every school has trained professionals to react on the scene, but you have to do your job yeah. because in Parkland, because um, I, I responded to that scene day later, it happened in uh, South Florida. Uh, fortunately, it's embarrassing also, especially former law enforcement. They stayed outside. Yeah. 
It's, uh, you know, and if you think about it, who you get to do that job? See, I would never have taken that job. No way. And and the guys I worked with and the more action oriented things, we, you know, we'd said, I didn't, I didn't come on the police department to go stand around the school for five years and have nothing happen. Cause that's what happens. You go for months and months and years and years. And the best you've got is an angry dad that comes in that you got to go to run down at the office and that calm down or we're going to take you to jail. Or, or a couple of kids fighting, right? A couple, a couple kids, kids fighting. fighting and, and, yeah. and, and then they fry your ass if you do anything or more than, I don't know what. So, yeah. you know, who do you get to do that job? They, that like, I, I don't know. That's true. It's that true. Uh, you get the guys it's, that you don't want on the streets. You force them to go there. You get the guys right. that are lazy and, and right. no count. And so oh, I'll take that because I can get on the internet and do all my shopping and talk to my girlfriends and, you know, screw off all the time. Cause I got no accountability because right. right. nothing happens there. Anyhow. I mean, that's, you know, people need a dose of reality. I think out there sometimes on uh, life. How about this idea, Gary? How about teachers being armed yeah. after 9-11? After 9-11, what do we do? We didn't ban planes, right? Yeah. We let the pilots who want to take the classes and training, yeah. they could have guns in the cockpit, right? Yeah. And, and that way you don't have to rely on anybody. You got a slug. Let's say you got whatever. Not every plane has an air marshal. Uh, I know as a agent, we will be a force multiplier. And we will check in with the pilot and say, listen, I'm armed. I'm here to help you. I'm in, yeah. you know, da, 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 da. And uh, we're here to help out. But a lot of times these planes are empty. They don't have any sort of protection in yeah. there. So the pilot can at least defend himself. And so they can't take the plane over and do what happened again. But not, not again, not every pilot wants to do that. Right. You no, know, yeah. there's teachers who have the background, prior military, law enforcement that want to do it. They're professional. They're trained. I, I have no problem with that at all. Yeah. Rather, rather than being a victim, you know, step forward and confront these, these, because they're crazies. Yeah. You, you have to confront the crazy quickly because they didn't get their medication. They didn't get what they needed. Probably most schools will have at least one or two guys and gals that might, would be willing and, yeah. and have the wherewithal to do it uh, yes. more than, more than likely. I don't know how much, I know they there's been talk about that. I don't know how far it never went, but sometimes you got school boards that are scared of liability and, you know, just scared of everything and, and they won't do it. So yeah, I don't know. Like I, we said, there are no easy answers here, but we got to I mean, start trying to figure out something, I guess. It's, it's just, it's a phenomenon. It's a phenomenon. Then, yeah. That, as, uh, and I think you said, like a lot of people don't know about it. ATF agents and what I worked with, we're very pro. The ones I worked with all are very pro second amendment. Yeah. We, we want people to, we don't want to take anybody's guns. We don't want bad people with guns. Right, we don't right. want criminals doing bad things, but the average person, has to defend themselves. Yeah. Because you, and this is coming from both of us. If, if you get a home invader in your house, don't expect the police to come and save you. No, I know. I know you, that. You, you have to protect your family and yourself yeah. and, and train and prepare for that because if not, it's going to be horrible. Yeah. And then you have to deal with that consequence. By the time the police come to your house, what, five minutes later, yeah. it's the damage has been done. The five damage min- has been done. Five minutes would be, <laughs> that would be lightning speed <laughs> in real world. You're, if you can get to 911 right away, by the time you jump through their hoops and they're yep. convinced that this is a real deal and there's really, you know, something really bad going on there, then they call the dispatch and then the guy is, you know, uh, uh, 25 blocks away or whatever. And depending on the time of day and, you know, may or may not be next to your house, more than likely isn't. It's uh, no, no. That's why you, you have to protect yourself, folks. I mean, an alarm system. Okay, fine. 
that's good. That's a good start there. You have cameras. Yeah, we, we all help because more evidence against the person, everything you can do. It makes a loud noise. It, it contacts police directly. Yeah, do all those things if you can. All those things help, but it, it can't hurt either to be because you lock yourself in a room. Doesn't mean that's not going to get in there. No, that's, that's no, not that's, that's not sure. going to cut it. That's not going to cut it. So uh, th- th- those are things I think in uh, with, with the cartels. Uh, it's a perfect example. I mean, I've, I've told stories where you have these guys who are 14 years old. They get recruited and they train them to do the be- Sicarios and they're bloodthirsty. And, and that's all they do. They, they train, they kill. I think a lot of people remember, and I don't blame uh, the, the guest you mentioned earlier for not riding the bikes in Mexico because people are getting kidnapped all the time. Yeah. And, and these guys don't don't play around either. Um, you had that. Fu- I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago you had. And I mentioned this in my book. Uh, there they were Mormons. Oh, yeah. Been there for generations. I remember right? that. Yeah. Sinaroa. Sinaroa. Not Sinaloa, Sinaroa. And uh, they were going back to the United States. They had family. And they were vain. There was a caravan. It was three of them. Um, you had, uh, and they're all women and children. No men. They're not cartel related. Right? Yeah. And unfortunately, they get caught, it, caught up in a crossfire between two factions. Right? Mm. And they're trying to explain to them. One of the come out and say, we're not you know, drug related in Spanish. Right? They don't care. She had her and her family. They light them up, mm-hmm. takes care of them. The other car is in shape, and then she has a full kids well, kids in her car. They do the same thing in the second car, and the third one trying to get out. They light that car up also, and it catches on fire, and they burn alive and dead with small mm-hmm. babies inside the car. That's, yeah, that's what you're dealing with. Yeah, it, it's bad down there uh, in Mexico. I don't know what uh, martial law, I think. And then – the cops and the soldiers are already paid off anyhow. It's just, I, I don't know. You need something what we did similar. And I, and I talked to my Chicago crime boss book, obviously Elliot Ness, uh, the predecessor to ATF Bureau yeah. of Prohibition, right? Mm-hmm. You need untouchables because we had corruption big time. But I didn't realize how bad it was where it was in the take where the, the mafia groups, the Irish, the Italians, they, they had control of the city and, and the corruption. The mayors were extremely corrupt. Yeah. And extremely bad. And it was, it was a bad situation. So you have to be in the federal government. And um, if I'm not mistaken, it was because of a publisher from a Chicago Tribune after the San Valentin Day massacre. They were so sick of this, what was going on, reached out to uh, Herbert Hoover, who had become uh, president of the United States. and said, listen, we need a special task force to take care of this because we can't deal with the situation here. And then they came up with the FBI and the prohibition and put it together, they came up with LNS and those guys who took them out. So they need the same thing in Mexico. But the, the guy right now is not that guy. Yeah. Lopez Obrador is not that guy. You, 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 you remember Calderon? Mm-hmm. Before that, he Felix, was very, yeah. yeah, he was extremely anti. But he look what happened. Mexico was at war. Mm-hmm. Mexico, people were afraid of that. But things are, are not better anyway. Things are really bad anyway. So this guy is like doing thugs for hug, uh, hugs for thugs. And he's come to these guys. But things are still bad. And it's still corrupt and it's not working and it's, it's a disaster. So what's going to be the consequence of that for us, which is bad already. All, obviously we get more drugs, more because their, their objective. And I, I also wrote books about what was going on in with Venezuela with uh, uh, Maduro, the uh, narco terrorist uh, president, which he was indicted here in the U S on the Trump administration. And, and the state department at the time said they had no, a reward for him for, I think four or $5 million for any information, at least for his arrest. I'm sorry. He's been indicted. We know he's been indicted. There's a warrant for his arrest. But the Biden administration sends a team out there because now we're not buying oil from Russia to start opening up lines so we can start buying from Venezuela now. 
<laughs> how, how are you sitting down with Maduro where you got a warrant for his arrest? And you're asking people for information that leads to his arrest. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's, you, 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 you don't want to leave one bad apple for another bad apple. Here we go now. This guy even says he wants to use cocaine, weaponize it to help destroy our nation like a, and, and help you know make a country of addicts. Yeah. So, so now they're negotiating with Venezuela. No, that's that, 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 the guy. He's he stolen the election. He's a tyrant. He shouldn't be there. And they have, should have dem dem democracy. You know, if only Chavez ruined the country. And Maduro is taking it over the cliff. Yeah, no, it's, uh, and we see it in Miami because, which I think we've gained a lot in it. They transformed parts of Miami we call Little Venezuela, but they brought oh, really? a lot of resource money. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's that. So they they they've left, and the, the rich who can leave like anywhere have yeah. left. Yeah, they've taken their money, the resources, and they invested in South Florida and other places in the country. And uh, Venezuela is in, on the verge of collapse, civil war. Uh, and but you can't be negotiating with that guy. Yeah, uh, we have to find an energy independence. We have to do something else. Uh, unfortunately, the nations we deal with for foreign oil are disastrous. And that's one thing I put another book in here. Blood, blood, money and oil. Uh, the corrupt regime of uh, Mohammed bin Salman, mm -hmm. which is out of Saudi Arabia, the crown prince out there. Mm -hmm. And um, the uh, he's another tyrant, him and his whole family. Uh, any, any dissidents, anybody doesn't agree with him. Uh, they just had the, the biggest mass execution last month or month before yeah. almost a hundred people beheadings you know how they kill people beheadings yeah i knew that they, they, they behead everybody they just go house of horrors in there take yeah. care so you dare stand up to me you dare not you will disappear and that's he does that to his own family members any family member that decides not to and they, they pay a lot you decide to talk bad or do anything else you disappear and they have all these accidents mm -hmm. all these car accidents that happen boating accidents with all their family members that going on in fact, it was so bad. People should read about how bad this guy is. And this, unfortunately, what uh, bothers me, it's against our moral standards that we're buying all this foreign oil right. from these kind of nations. These nations, and what we do is funding these problems around the world. The Russians with Putin, that's a big problem. And the Europeans know that. They, they want to cut that off too. You know, Saudi Arabia, the Middle East, Nigeria. I have another book about Nigeria on a failed state. What a disaster that is over there. Venezuela. Uh, we, we have to be, I, hopefully we can buy more from the Canadians <laughs> and, and do our own. But, you know, I think if anybody had a chance to read about uh, Jamal Khashoggi, I don't know if you, you remember that, that story. Was the, that was the newsman that, that they had Washington Post uh, yeah, columnist. Yeah, he had written some stuff against the, over the crown prince over there that you mentioned yes. his name. I can never remember it, but uh, yeah. I think yeah, Mohammed bin Salaman. Yeah, lured him into a. Diplomatic embassy, uh, embassy, yeah, and cut him up. The They're big on you know, cutting you know, things up. You know what he didn't? Un he they underestimated. They didn't realize that the Turkish government had the embassy wired. <laughs> yeah, oh, so the whole thing was recorded. Uh -huh. The atrocity they committed because he went in there originally to get. His, he's getting married, right? Yeah, he, he had his fiance. He's getting married. They told him, "Oh no, worry. We'll get your paperwork. You need come back a week later." Well, what he didn't know is there was a Saudi agent there who recognized him and heard about it. He mm -hmm. flies in, and this has all been documented timelines and everything. I did a, a real deep timeline on what happened here, how he was the guy who called the shots because nothing happens in there without him calling the shots. Mm -hmm. So there's no way they're going to kill this guy without right. him calling the shots here. He flies back. A week later, they got a full team. He, he has what a team called Tiger Squad, which are assassins. They only kill within, but obviously outside the country. Mm -hmm. He sends that team out there. They even have a lookalike show up that's going to take his clothes and pretend that he walks out like no big deal and everything's fine. I mean, they have it to the T. They did have uh, that plan. They had a plan, but what they didn't realize is all recorded. 
so you you can hear him when he comes in, and I listened to the uh, the recording that was translated. You know, poor guy. guy. The guy was a good journalist. The guy was a reporter. He was an author. Um, he he was very much somebody who was calling what's going on. Yeah. And, and they don't have democratic institutions like we do. It, it, he, this guy's a, it, it's a tyrannic family. They they run things out there. Dictatorship. Uh, and I think he wants better for his nation. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he pissed him off. And maybe, I mean, he was a U.S. resident. He was working in D.C. for the Washington Post. His daughters were U.S. citizens. Uh, maybe if he was a U.S. citizen, this never would happen because then he, because he was in, in the, <clears throat> trying to get his application to become a citizen, uh, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Because then he wouldn't have been there in that embassy, the Saudi embassy, and he would have been in the American embassy. Yeah. And that would never <laughs> yeah, have, would have never happened. Have happened. So really? he, he walks in there, his, his fiance's outside, he gives all his phone. And he says, you can't do this. What are you doing? I got people waiting for me outside. And next thing you hear is, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. That's three times. Huh. I can't breathe. And next thing you hear, the saw coming out. Man. So he, so he brings a team of medical examiners. Also, the expertise is, you know, the autopsies. They yeah. everything. He dismember him completely. And then they put his body, his remains in there to disintegrate them and be done with them. That's it. And then, and then again, they use his clothes that look alike, puts his clothes on, walks out, and goes on a taxi like everything's fine. But he kept his own shoes on from before. So they, they know <laughs> yes, that was the guy that walked up, in. Yeah. <laughs> it, th- that, that is the kind of things that uh, makes you think, man, we have to do better. And I, I, that thing, I give Joe Biden credit. At least he hasn't met with the guy yet. Yeah. I know there's talks. Maybe he yeah, felt insulted. I, I, so- I just saw that in this morning's paper, I think, something yeah. about that. I mean, everybody's. Frantically, I tell you, we go a little nuts when the gas prices go up a little bit in this country. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, 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 and that's why I put there that uh, I, I think uh, Joe Biden will be obviously a one-term president yeah. based on everything that's going on here. Yeah, I, I think, I think they're getting right. ready for in the West Coast. I'm not sure about where you're at, but out there, over $10 a gallon by end of August. Yeah, we're we're bordering on, uh, I, I put premium in that motorcycle, and it's about 440 or 450 right now. So yeah. it's crazy. It's, yeah, it is. And, and like I said, in this country, we get we get nuts when gas prices start going up. It's, it's the biggest topic ever since I've been a little kid. You know, it was 15 cents a gallon. If it would go to uh, uh, 20 cents a gallon, people go, did you hear any of that? Gas prices has gone up. Well, I hear you can get it, you know, five miles from here for 18 cents a gallon. Say then all the people drive five miles, save two cents a gallon. <laughs> it's all relative, but we just get a little crazy over the price of gas. I, I think it's like, you know, such a transportation oriented country that, it, it just so affects everything. It's kind of that's all right. Ignacio Esteban, <laughs> go ahead. You start to say something. <laughs> no, I was going to say that's right. Electric cars are doing so well, right? Yes, they will. And they'll continue as long as that gas price stays up. They'll continue to do well. Yeah, Elon Musk, man, the richest man in the world. He had oh, something boy. going when he came up with that, huh? <laughs> he did. He did. Who'd have guessed? Who'd have ever guessed? And 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 uh, Toyota's got those hybrids, and uh, mm-hmm. you know I I don't know there that Priuses you see more Priuses on the road than you do anything, uh, but it's uh, you know it's crazy. I, you know Ford's coming out. We're digressing here, but Ford's coming out with an F one fifty with yeah. nothing but all electric that you can power your house on. So get stand by. Yeah. <laughs> I don't well, my I so. investment guys that put some money in some of these battery companies just a little bit because they're all pretty speculative, but I think. That, that's the thing I, of the future. Yeah, I, I've been proactive also. Just I know we're talking about this real quick. I've done the solar panels. Yeah, and, I'll have uh, you. I, yeah, and I'll, I also did with my, um, this is like last year, a year and a half ago, 
all my lawn equipment is pa- battery operated. Yeah, yeah, that's that's I don't a good. Have to worry idea. about that. Yeah, <laughs> I did all that. My my trimmer, my blower, my lawnmower, and they're so good now. And they're and wider. <laughs> they're wider, double blade. Yeah. So, and they last. My my double is two two batteries. Uh, they last for over an hour and twenty minutes. Yeah. And I don't have to worry about gas. My neighbor is out there going filling up, and uh, I don't have to deal with the smell, the headache, none of that. So yeah, you're right. It's just a l- little advice. <laughs> really. <laughs> But hey, guys, you may know a really good battery company that's going to be the battery that powers a car for like a thousand miles. That that's that's, that's you know you find something like that and you got money in the ground floor of that, you're going to make some money, dude. You're going to really make some made some money in Tesla. My my Edward Jones guy said you need to get out of that. You made a lot of money in that, and then the damn thing split five for one right after that. Oh. <laughs> <I got> <laughs> All right, that's enough investment advice. Ignacio Esteban, I really appreciate coming on. Thank Guys, you. don't forget, I'm going to have a link to his, uh, and I'll have in, in the video, I'll have some pictures of your books, but I have a link okay. to his uh, Amazon author page, and you can take a look at his books. They're, they're all, uh, if you got, what is it, uh, the Kindle Direct, uh, uh, the Kindle, Kindle Limited, yeah. Kindle, Kindle Limited, Limited subscription. Free. All, all my books are free. If you're a Kindle Unlimited subscriber, all my books are free. Yeah, cool. But all my books are under $10, and yeah. most of my books are under 5 with exception of my autobiography and a, and a few. Uh, they're very reasonably priced, very yeah. reasonably priced. Good reads, very informative. I research everything myself. I want to make sure the information is accurate. Yeah, you got books about violent biker gangs, you know, be an ATF agent. That's what my other two ATF agents are talking about. The ATF is kind of the lead agency when it comes to biker gangs. I know that. Uh, Castro and the Mob, which you heard about, uh, the Yakuza, which we don't know much about in this country. Uh, I had a guy get hold of me. He said, do you know any experts on the Yakuza? Because he needs to do something about a uh, he's going to write an article on uh, uh, a new show on one of the streaming channels, uh, Tokyo Vice, and it's about oh, yeah, the Yakuza. So uh, people that. don't know about the Yakuza. Here's a here's a quick, down well, and dirty, easy to read book on the Yakuza. Las okay. Vegas, Mob City. Uh, you know, we know a lot about that on this channel because uh, I helped work for the work for the FBI on the skimming from Las Vegas and Chicago. Okay. Uh, okay. So uh, and travel and a lot of the major cities that. Ignacio did himself and took his own pictures on. So you can kind of get an ATF agent's version of visiting a, a major city, which would be interesting in itself. And, and a whole variety of other books, uh, Fast and the Furious and, and Mexican Cartels, which we touched on a little bit here. Um, so, Ignacio, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Gary. I enjoyed it. All right. I enjoyed it was that was most interesting we kind of got off into some politics and and gun control and and uh all that stuff but a little bit different uh interesting uh interesting guy uh really a prolific writer i suggest that you get on the internet and at least take a look at his books if there might be something that you would like in there uh don't forget to uh, hit me up uh, buy me a cup of coffee at venmo or at the buy me a cup of coffee app I've got books and movies myself out there for sale and for rent on Amazon for sale off of my uh, website, ganglandwire.com. As always, uh, don't forget to watch out for motorcycles. A lot of us out there on the roads. Oh, here's a little thing. I'm going to do a track day over here in Topeka. Next to, by the time this comes out, I will have gone to a, a real racetrack 
and uh, participated in what they call track day, where I see how I can go around the racetrack on my Kawasaki 900 RS. That thing is fast, man. Anyhow, uh, so uh, if you got any problems with PTSD and you're a veteran, be sure and go to the uh, VA website, uh, Google PTSD and VA, and they have a hotline. You can get a lot of information, uh, get some help, or if you've got a friend or a relative that, that has those problems, steer them to that. And as always, I, I always appreciate you guys, all your comments, and, and uh, I'm going to say letters, emails, and you can contact me through my website via email, just uh, do the contact me function or make comments on my YouTube channel. Uh, don't forget to tell, tell a friend or two about this uh, show. Uh, it all helps. Thanks a lot, guys.